So uh, next is Jonathan Tuckett. Um, I'm going to stand over here if that's all right. Yeah, sure. Um, while he gets set up, I'll just, I was speaking to Jonathan about uh, his topic. And I have played this game, actually, and I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I lasted about two minutes, but I'm, I'm assured that, that I missed the point. Um, uh, so, Jonathan, John talks us about uh, a game called Nine of the Breath of Life and its relationship with the Cartesian meditation. Um, some reflections on that as well. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, I'll admit that this paper is a bit of an odd one because I didn't actually start playing Numa Breath of Life with the intention of making a philosophical <laughs> argument with it. Um, it just so happened that as I was playing the game, I was also writing a chapter on Heidegger for a monograph on philosophical anthropology that I'm working on. And Numa just helped me understand Heidegger, basically, at the end of the day. Uh, but also, it also raised an issue for Heidegger. So... What this paper really is about, it's not so much the answer to the question, so much as the posing of the question itself, because I haven't got a definitive answer as yet. So, what is Numa Breath of Life? Well... Reality is that which is observed. His watch to count upwards. As the door is watched, it can be opened. But what happens in when no one's watching? advert there just because it's very dramatic music for what is otherwise a very sedate game uh, <laughs> so um, yeah as the advert makes clear this video game is about the nature of reality um, and while it is billed as a first-person puzzler in which the player must play with uh, perspective in order to solve some of the challenges in game terms it's not a very difficult game at all it only takes about an hour to really get through the entire experience. What Numa is really about is the various meditations of Numa himself as he progresses through his world. So this is how the game actually begins. In the beginning, me. I, I, I'm awake, I'm alive, I can feel it. Life flowing through me, breath, thought. A few seconds ago there was nothing, but now here I am. There's only one logical conclusion. I am God, and this is my universe. It's pretty cool. It is too dark and silent, formless and void. Not fitting for God of my stature. Let there be light. Oh, and there was. Oh, wow. Oh, it must be God. I can move. I can. I can talk. I can walk. I hover to and fro above the infinite surface. Plain as it is. From the very opening line, Numa makes it clear that not only is it an exploration of Descartes' meditation, it is a critique of it also. Unlike the Cogito, uh, who decides that it would not be God, Numa decides that this is actually the logical conclusion of his own existence. And from this logical conclusion, Numa's journey involves a series of insights which are, to a degree, absurd. This absurdity has been picked up on 
by a number of reviewers, including this one from Killscreen. Yet without realizing it, the Killscreen review highlights one of the issues of the Cartesian meditation. How, the reviewer laments, can we ground questions of soul, breath, and spirit without a body? At various points, Numa talks about his figurative limbs. He even asks at one point, what are hands? Yet this removal of the body is exactly what Descartes' meditation is supposed to achieve. And the game, I suggest, is actually a full-force commitment to the meditation that reveals that certain absurd conclusions would follow. For instance, Anscombe has recognised that the logical conclusion of the meditation is that Medi uh, Descartes sorry, ceases to be Descartes himself. Insofar as he does, however, continue to think of himself as Descartes, he has not actually fully committed to the meditation. If we can be deceived, and must put aside all upon which we can be deceived, including our own personal histories, even our own names, as Dan Sahavi's case of the amnesiac reveals, then we must also give up our identity in the meditation. And once in this position of a lack of identity, what is to stop the cogito, like Numa, from thinking itself to be God? If we embrace this, then it becomes clear that the kill screen review misses the point of Numa's absurdity. Far more important than Numa's body, or lack thereof, is that his meditation takes place in a state of solipsism. Viewed as a solipsistic exploration into the nature of reality, Numa's conclusions are in fact fully endorsed by Husserl. Specifically, Numa plays out a situation described in Ideas 2, where Husserl considers the notion of normality and abnormality. I wonder if this is normal, moving things with your mind. It must be. I am normal. That cannot be contested. Normal is the norm, and as the only thing, I must be normal. In Husserl's version of this solipsistic exploration, he considers the case of a Chinese room, in which there is a tinted window looking on the outside world. If I have never left this room, then I will be unaware that the world outside does not possess this blue tint. Confined within the room, Husserl explains that I construe a system of normal givenness, in which the blueness of the outside world is normal. This is not to say that I never realise I am wrong about the world, I am simply not wrong. This is exactly the point of Numa's line in the advert, reality is that which is perceived. And this essential insight about the blueness of the world, about the nature of reality, is no different from the one Numa makes at the beginning of the game. As I move forward, the world approaches me. I am literally the centre of the universe. As I turn, the world rotates around me. I am pivotal. I bring a new meaning to self-centred, you know, what with being the centre of all things. With no one in the else in the universe to decentralise him, it is an incontrovertible fact that Numa is the centre of the universe. For Husserl, it is only when we leave the solipsistic exploration by reintroducing the other that we can discover our essential insights might not be as essential as we originally thought. In his own example, Husserl relates his essential insights to a community of others. After some relating, they become aware of how much these conflict with their world, constituted intersubjectively and continuously exhibited by means of a harmonious exchange of experiences. They are led to the conclusion that Husserl, with his essential insights, is a pathological object, and call his actuality, so beautifully manifest to him, the hallucination of someone who up until this point has been mentally ill. In the case of the game, the player as the recipient of Numa's essential insights takes on this role of the community of others, described by Husserl, 
deciding whether Numa's various insights are absurd or not, normal or abnormal. And in the very fact that the game makes us do this, makes us the community of others, it then takes a different line to that of Husserl. For Husserl, the crucial implication of this discussion of normality and abnormality is that normality, reality itself even, is dependent upon various essential insights that are always the product of intersubjective consensus. In the net class, we find the example of an entire community of people who are colorblind. For them, not distinguishing colors is the basis of normality and enables the achievement of essential insights. But if you can see color, you are therefore abnormal and cannot achieve essential insights. Change the consensus, change who is involved in that consensus, and you will change the insights that are produced. To put it in crass terms, natural science tells us about the nature of the universe because we agree that this is what natural science does. Or, in one of Numa's own insights, Maybe I write science books. As the creator of the universe, I can easily write an exhaustive science textbook. I mean, if I got something wrong, I could just change the rules of the universe to match the book. I could keep changing the laws of the universe and write new revisions. <laughs> in another respect, Numa is also aware that the presence of an other any other may well prove uh, problematic for his own essential insights, as well as his very status as a deity. If knowledge is in the mind, to be alone is to experience all of knowledge. All the substance of knowledge exists within mind. Therefore, to suppose another whose mind was unknowable or transient would suppose a world in which all knowing was an impossibility. So it follows that being alone serves as a proof of my deity. In this way, it is a comfort to me that I am alone. Others would be a difficult problem. <laughs> as Numa's meditation continues, he begins to wonder more and more about his own status as a god. He begins to question whether he is the author of the universe. I don't think I'd take it well if I spent my life controlled by another, though I'm not fully in control, clearly. My body is constrained to this world. But I haven't resigned to this lack of control, it's just the darker side of that. How do you get over that nagging feeling that someone is watching over you, controlling your steps? Unwelcome. More and more, he begins to feel that he is no longer in control of his actions. Ironically, for a being without a body, he finds himself constrained by a body which acts in a certain way and seemingly before he instructs to, to do so. He moves without making the decision to move. Once he starts to challenge his own de deity, however, this begins a spiral of questions for him, which can only be characterized as a growing sense of anxiety. He even has an existential crisis. Patience is a virtue I possess. A god has infinite patience, a small proof of my deity. If I get frustrated with waiting, what does that mean? I'm not a god? Hmm. Suppress, just a momentary lapse of reason, existential crisis. Everyone has one, don't worry about it, suppress. <laughs> While on the surface Numa is the Cogito, in actuality he is Darcy. This is made clear at the beginning of the game. After bringing himself from nothingness, Numa's voyage of self-discovery begins with the following observation. A bit bland, but a bland universe is better than no universe. Still, I feel the need for progress. I need a direction. I need a destination. An end to my beginning. An omega to my alpha. But how can there be progress without a destination? In the same way that Numa feels compelled to make progress through the world towards some sort of end, so do does Heidegger, Heidegger, Heidegger claim that Darsine does not feel itself as actual. 
Both Numa and Darsine are characterised by their potentiality for being. There is constantly something still to be settled. The confrontation with this needing to be settled ultimately faces Darsine with its own being towards the end. Death at every turn threatens Darsine with the, fa uh, the uh, failure of achieving this settling. But where for Heidegger, Darsine anxiety lies in the confrontation of death, Numa offers a different interpretation. For Numa, nearing his destination increases his sense of anxiety, but the destination itself is not the reason or the source of that anxiety. Rather, the cause is a growing sense of his lack of control. His earlier comments on the body shift to become a meta-narrative within the game directed at the player themselves. He does not control his actions because it is the player controlling his actions. Are these words even my words? I could be anything. Maybe I'm just words on a page, a script on a screen, an actor, a voice, a character, a visage, a fake. Approaching the end. What begins to be revealed is that if Numa is Darsine, then the player as Husserl's community of others is actually what Heidegger termed the they-self. The very same they-self that Heidegger pro proposes Darsine must free itself from in order to achieve authenticity and face its own death. And this very flight characterises Numa's realisation that he is at the destination to his journey. A few seconds ago there was nothing, but now here I am, surrounded by trees, ready to hear them fall. The path serves to direct my steps. Disturbing that my steps are being directed. That's an unwelcome thought. I am aware, but I don't feel in control. I feel a lack of control and a control beyond my own. I don't want to roll away this stone. That nagging thought again. Why am I continuing? Despite my desire to the contrary. This is the progress I desire. The destination I set out for at the beginning. The knowledge I grasped for. The end of the road. There's no way back, and knowledge... Knowledge feels dangerous now. The stone is rolled away, and in here I can see shadows dance on the walls. Projections. All this time I felt a presence watching over me. I felt a control beyond my own. No! No! Ah! No! Get off me! Get off me! I can feel you, distant person, controlling my every step. You've been here since the beginning. Watch it! Malevolence or benevolent, it makes no difference. You have no right. Get off! The door is closed. I can't go back. Well, did you pay your price for your slave? You deserve to Although it's perhaps not clear at this point, what's actually happening is that as you're playing the game, Numa actually takes control away from the player so that he, the game, he physically looks away from the eye which opens the stone. So you as the player have to force Numa back to make him look at the eye and make him continue on his journey. Control me, is it your right? Is it? Go on, tell me, what was my price? You stand there in the distance, I can see it now. I cannot see your face, but I feel you like a rushing wind. You guide my steps, you order my steps. No, no, look away. Why should we go through here? There's no reason. Why must we travel through every door you wish? Elucidate me. What about me, my desires? Let's just wait here, forever. I've never been alone. You move my world. Manipulate me. All this time, you've placed my every footstep. How can I trust you? You've been watching over me secretly and silently since the beginning of time. That's pretty villainous. I want to go back. 
There's no other way but forward now, apart from infinite stillness. But in what way does this differ from Heidegger? Well, as understood by Heidegger, the function of the they-self is to tranquilize Dasein so that its own death becomes an indefinite something, which above all must duly arrive from somewhere or other, but which is proximately not yet present at hand. Death loses the character of mindness. For offering us tranquility, the they-self does not permit us the courage for anxiety in the face of death. But insofar as the player is the they-self in Numa's case, a different situation pertains. Numa is not tranquilized by the pay, uh, player's direction. Unlike Heidegger, this is not anxiety in the face of death, nor is it anxiety in the face of freedom, as in the case of Sartre. Rather, this is anxiety in the face of the other. The player is the reason for Numa's anxiety. In representing the they-self, the player therefore signifies one of the more questionable aspects of the existential analytic. Darsine, in its pursuit for authenticity of facing its own death with resolve, can only ever find the other as a problem or a threat. This critique is not mine, but one found in both Tanabe Hajima and Max Scheler. For Tanabe, Darsine is elitist. Only certain self-powerful Darsine who rise as masters above slaves can achieve authenticity. As I see it, Tanabe gets this relationship the wrong way round. Darsine is the slave trying to escape the master of the they-self, as Heidegger conceives it. Meanwhile, for Scheler, Darsine is solipsistic. Concerned only with itself, Darsine can conceive nothing of beyond itself. This, I feel, goes a little too far into a charge of absolute pluralism, in which each Darsine con uh, constitutes its own other protected world. I prefer to condense both of them into a more restrained charge of egoism. Darsine is only concerned with its own authenticity and doesn't care about the authenticity of other Darsine. What is to be noted of these charges, however, is that they all consider this problematic relationship from the perspective of Darsine, that they self is always other and never self. Where Numa stands out in, out in this regard is considering the same problematic relationship from the perspective of the they self. The player, in being put in the role of the they-self to the Darsign of Numa, has no choice but to take him to his end. Numa reveals his our own lack of control in this regard as the they-self at the end of the game. It's a game. I'm not real. You've been watching me for all this time, since the beginning of the universe. But you didn't say anything. You sat silently. Apparently, you think it's okay to just watch a person for hours. Why am I here, then? I am part of your game? Your entertainment? You play with my life. You move me around as you see fit. Tell me where to look, how to think. Manipulate my world. Push me down a path of your choosing. Alter your appetite for closure. Am I your slave? What was my price? Or perhaps... You're my spirit. Perhaps not. Perhaps my conscience. Perhaps my consciousness. Maybe I'm a puppet and you're my master. Perhaps at this point, neither of us are in control. Few things are sure. I am not real. From nothing I came, and to nothing I will return. I am just a figment of an imagination. I am a character created to tell a story. The story of a person who observes their life, but is not in control. 
There's a puzzle for you. In the beginning, me. Everything Numa says here is designed to make the player consider their relationship relationship to him, not from their own position as Darsign, but as they-self, to experience themselves as enacting the function or purpose of the they-self. Numa reveals the player to be denied their own status as Darsign. No matter who the player is, or what the player does, they are truly representative of the they-self because they take Numa to an end which is not of their own choosing. They, in sorry, excuse me. they inhibit his possibility for authenticity. We, the players, do not even choose how to control Numa at the end of the day. This, as I take Numa to demonstrate the point, is the crucial question behind uh, the ex existential analytic. Not as Heidegger begins being in time with the issue of our being Darsein, but with the issue of our being the they self to other Darsein. If we accept Tanabe and Shayla's critique as the charge of egoism, does this mean that as we ourselves are the they self to other Darsein, are we therefore trapped into inhibiting their pursuit of authenticity? And what is it to experience our own being as being the they self? Thank you.